eagerly desiring his presence among us and with us. And it is actually impossible for us to know God unless he reveals himself. We we cannot know God on our own by our effort, our intellect, our cleverness, our righteousness, or anything else about us. We cannot know the Father. We cannot know Jesus unless they reveal themselves to us. And Jesus revealed the Father to those who believed in a creator, believed, you know, somebody must have made the world, and who followed the law of Moses. But they they didn't really know God's heart. And, you know, you you may be a bit like that this morning, not so much about the, the law of Moses, but maybe, you know, you believe there must be something There must be something. Or maybe you grew up in the Christian faith in your home and you kind of, you know, you've heard it. But you think, well, I I don't know if I know God's heart. Jesus also revealed the Father to those who definitely didn't follow the law of Moses and didn't know whether there was a creator or not and weren't that bothered. Just by his presence And his impact, Jesus revealed the Father. And of course, Jesus revealed the Father to his followers, to those who loved him and gave up their livelihoods and their occupations and followed him around Galilee and around Judea for three years. And you will remember that one of them wrote about that experience afterwards. And, and recorded, we have seen his glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. So I, I want to ask, well, how do you stir up hunger for God's presence? Because it's always a question about us. It's never a question about God. God is always hungry for us. He's always more loving, more enthusiastic, more desiring us than we can ever desire him. How can you stir up hunger and faith and desire for God? Well, you can set your heart to obey him and to walk in the way of Jesus that's, a, you know, that's an amazing thing to do. You can just ask. You can say, God, reveal yourself to me. That's an amazing thing to do. Or you can use spiritual disciplines and practices and prayer and fasting and Bible reading and worship and meditation. They're all there to bring us, body and soul, into the Father's presence. They're great things to do. You should grab them with both hands. But I want to take one step back from that. Now, if you lived in Old Testament times, before Jesus or 
before the crucifixion and the resurrection, and you really wanted to experience God's presence, you knew what you had to do. You had to go to Jerusalem because that's where God's temple was. So you had to stop work on your farm. Now that's pretty much everybody worked on a farm. You had to stop work on the farm. You had to involve your community because anything essential that needed to happen on the farm, you know, like looking after the animals, making sure they got water and stuff like that, other people would need to do that. And you would have to get ready for the journey. You would need to take an offering with you. That was part of the system. A sacrifice, a sheep or a goat as an offering. So you'd go into a field and fetch Fido. And um, you and Fido would set out on the road to Jerusalem. You, you didn't have to do it that way. You could buy one in Jerusalem, but it was a scam on the pricing. And it was incredibly expensive and outside most people's reach. So you generally, you take the animal with you on the road... Better news for you than for Fido. And um, as you approach Jerusalem and climb the hill to the temple, you would be joining in with other people who were on the same journey for the same reason. And people would be reciting or singing the Psalms of David as they climbed the hill towards the entrance to the temple, which was called the Gates of Praise. And you'd go through the gates singing God's praises. And then you would be in the outer court and you would present your sacrifice to the priest because the outer court was the place for dealing with everything that stands between you and God. Your sins, your community's sins, the distance between you and the Father. And when you'd done that, you could present your prayer, your request, or whatever it was that had brought you to Jerusalem. And depending on where you lived, how far it was from Jerusalem, it could take a whole week just to do that, just to get into God's presence, to get to the temple and back again. And yet people did it. They did it a lot. David wrote, one day in the temple courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Well, that was the old covenant. Under the new covenant, the new way of Jesus, we don't have a temple. This is not a temple, it's a conference centre. We don't make a physical journey to just one sacred place to come close to God. But there is still a cost because you have to stop what you're doing. If you were working, you have to stop doing that. We have to turn our attention from ourselves and kind of the clamour in our heads. You know, all the anxiety and, and responsibilities and interests and obsessions and desires and wants and needs... We have to kind of stop and begin to turn our attention away from ourselves, which is not easy, and onto the God who was and is 
and is to come and who is beautiful beyond imagining. And the temple and its sacrifice, of course, was designed that way because it was a forerunner, a picture, a copy, a shadow of what Jesus would come to do perfectly later. But the way it was designed is also a picture of how to come into God's presence. And I want you to notice how it's designed. You know, God can speak in a moment, and he does. You you can have a Damascus Road experience, or, or even just something very, very modest. God can speak in a moment at any time, and he does. And you can send up an arrow prayer any time you want to. But we usually need more than a moment. We are such a busy and distracted culture. I mean, maybe more than any generation before us. We've got more stimulation, more visual and audible things, more demands, less genuine rest. It's quite difficult to find quiet sometimes anywhere. You know, there's places where there's always a screen on, there's always sounds on, there's always something. Which means that rest has become a rare and precious commodity. And um, I don't know if you've noticed, but advertisers and people who sell, who need to be ahead of the game and see what's going on in the culture, have noticed this. Have you noticed how many ads sell you rest? And I I like to listen to the radio on the way to work. And uh, when the music stops, the ads come on, which I find really irritating. But... uh, I noticed the gas company ad this week on the way to work. It was really interesting the way they sold their company. They didn't say anything about their service or their price, which knowing that company is probably just as well. What they did was they said, we can't make your journey to work any quicker. We can't make your Amazon package arrive any faster. But we can give you our gas app on your phone, which will make managing energy so much easier for you, and it will give you rest. Now, obviously, rest tomorrow, or rest the day after, or rest later. Not rest now, because now you need to be on your phone downloading the gas app and signing up for the company. But rest tomorrow if you buy the product or the service. And increasingly, that's what advertisers are selling. They're selling you rest. And um, it's a scam, isn't it? Because they haven't got rest to give you. You couldn't go to the temple in Jerusalem without stopping and putting everything down. And we can't come into God's presence now without doing much the same. Because when we come into his presence, he is going to set the agenda, and we are not, because he's God, and we are not. Sorry if I spoiled your Sunday. 
And to stop, we need to rest, and it takes time. Now, I am not naturally a very patient person. I would like to be more patient than I am. I know what patience is because other people have described it to me, but I am not very patient. And what I would like is to come into church and sit down and Josh, you know, stands up and, um, or whoever, and Lucy does the opening prayer and we start the first line of the song and I'm just there, you know, up with the angels in God's presence. And that does happen, just not very often. More times than not, the coming into God's presence is a journey for me. And it, it takes a while for me to settle down. And, and that is basically the reason why we give so much attention to the songs and why we give a significant amount of time to the songs. They're all either directly quoting the scriptures or they're meditations or reflections on the scriptures. And praise is a dominant theme in them for who God is. And I want to take you back to that passage from Hebrews now, which is about the Israelites when they were rescued from Egypt, not managing to enter the promised land, which was, which was rest. And the writer goes on to say there's a much deeper rest. But, but that was rest for them. And they could not manage to enter God's rest. And the place where they failed was the gates of praise. You know, it wasn't the place of sacrifice. It wasn't the place of intimacy. They failed at the gates of praise because fundamentally they did not believe that God was good and that he would take care of them. And if you don't believe that God is good and he will take care of you in whatever trials come your way, then it's very difficult to praise him. Now, you can praise through clenched teeth because you're really upset, you know, with somebody or something or yourself, and that's fine. It's fine to turn, I'm going to praise you anyway, God, I know you're good. And, you know. Or you can praise God with tears pouring down your street cheeks because someone you love has died or something, you know, you've broken up with someone or something, you know, awful has happened to you and tears are, are pouring down your face and you, you can praise through that and that's, that's great praise. It's, it isn't about your kind of whether things are good or bad or hard or easy or even about how you feel today because praise is an act of will where you come into God's presence and you say, you are good, you are good, your love endures forever, you are good. God, you are amazing. God, you are beautiful and holy and you know, beyond anything on this planet. And that was where the Israelites failed. It's interesting, it was right at the beginning, they couldn't do that. You know, I don't know whether it's because they'd been slaves in Egypt and were just, you know, just crushed in their spirits. But even after everything they saw God do to get them out, they couldn't manage the gates of praise. 
It takes me time to take the focus off myself and remember that he is the vine and I'm just the branch. To turn my heart towards him. And it isn't just that, because it's not just about Sunday morning. Because if I've had a week you know, where I, I haven't listened or put into practice God's kind of seven-day rhythm for creation, and I, I haven't had a day of rest, I haven't had time when I've stopped and put the phone away and rested and remembered that every day I wake up into a world that's a gift, a world that I didn't make. And every day I wake up into a salvation that I did nothing to earn. If I don't have a day like that, it's much harder on Sunday to take my attention off myself and put it on God. And I, and I don't say that to guilt trip anyone. And, and with the knowledge that rest looks different, at different life stages. You know, if you've got three children under five and you hear me talking about rest, you think, you know, well, that's great, Peter, but, but you know, rest for me is about two minutes. You know, and that, that is fine and God knows that. But most of us sitting here have more choice than that about when we rest. It is such a good thing to rest in the presence of the living God. You know, it's healing to the bones. It's water to the spirit. It's just comfort to the hurting heart. It is such a good thing to be in the presence of the living God. It's helpful to, to pause at the place of sacrifice. No one's brought a goat with them this morning. We don't need one. We have Jesus. God provided the sacrifice himself. But nevertheless, the place of sacrifice reminds me, I am not my own. I was bought with a price. In the Old Testament, the outer court where the sacrifices happened and where the scriptures were read led into the inner court. And you could only go there if you were a priest. But if you were, in the inner court was the bread of the presence and the altar of intimacy, of incense, the place of closeness and prayer. But it wasn't the very, very closest place. That was the holy place behind the curtain where the high priest went once a year. And uh, when he went there, they used to tie a rope round his leg so that if he got something wrong and God struck him, or if he just died because it was his time to die, they could pull him out again without having to go into the holy place themselves. That's how seriously... They took it. But now we have a permanent invite. 
we have a permanent invite. And it's interesting, isn't it, that the writer to Hebrews says, make every effort to enter God's rest. Because we think rest and effort are opposites. But he says, make every effort to enter God's rest. And the response he wants from us is a thankful spirit and a humble heart that will stop and will rest and will trust whatever responsibilities you have to him and stop, stop doing your work enough that you can come into his presence and love him and receive from him and let him set the agenda. Let's just take a minute to ask the Holy Spirit what he wants to do now. So I think what we're going to do is we're going to push into God's presence. We're going to do it just by worshipping him, just by singing songs of praise and love and welcome to him. Um, I just want to remind you everybody's different. You know, we all respond to the presence of the Holy Spirit in very different ways. You know, for, for some of us, it's very much a heart thing. You know, it touches your heart, your emotions, your feelings. That's that's where you experience God's presence and his closeness. And for some people, it's quite a physical thing. You know, your, your body gets warm, you experience pressure or, on your forehead, or, you know, you, you just, you're just aware of the tangible presence of Jesus. And for some people, um, it's more a head thing, it's more a cerebral thing. And a Bible verse will come to mind or a truth about God or something about his character or his love, you know, just spring to mind and you think, oh, God, you're amazing. And um, if, if you are a young Christian, hopefully people will say to you, you know, it doesn't matter which one of those is more naturally you, just go with that. But when you go on with God, I want to encourage you to do the range, to invite God into all of you, and so if, if the heart's not your most obvious bit, you know, the, the feelings and the emotions, not the most obvious bit, press into that. If, if you know, you, not really with my body, not really, do something a bit different. Hold out your hands there if you wouldn't normally and say, God, you know, he, here I am. And if, you know, it's not usually a head thing for you, you're much more comfortable with the first two of those, ask God from a verse from the Bible that reveals something about his character to you today that you can go away and take home and chew over. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to stand as we, as we come to worship. I'm going to ask the band to lead us and then we'll see what God wants to do.